It's hard to to look in the mirror and figure out why you say, do, and think certain things, and then try to better yourself from that. It, it's hard. People not telling you that, you know, you're right or no, you're perfect. Like that was young. That was hard at a young age, but you push through, and you always remember your why. Why you're in the business. Why you're in it to do. You know the things that you're in it to do, which is hopefully the right things with the right intentions. Up Basketball is proud to bring you Mental Buckets, a show about professionals in sports, the stories behind their careers, and the mental toughness needed to get to the next level. This podcast is sponsored by Up Basketball. Through basketball, we strive to develop hardworking and mentally tough individuals who understand their potential is unlimited. For more information on our basketball skills training, check out our website, upbtraining.com. And I'm Packy Turner, player development coach and co-founder of Up Basketball. And I'm Mike Franco, the mental skills coach with the Dallas Mavericks and Texas Legends. Thanks for joining our podcast, Mental Buckets. On the show today, we have Coach George Galanopoulos, who's my current head coach with the Texas Legends. And Coach G's been with the Bakersfield Jam. He's been an intern and video coordinator with the Dallas Mavericks, a former assistant with the Legends, and also the head coach of the Ugandan national team. And... Being around Coach G, we've been through blizzards together, 6 a.m. flights, empty arenas, full arenas. This last year, we've kind of seen it all. And what I really appreciate about him was the way he just carries himself with humility, creates a collaborative environment, and makes everyone feel valued and part of the team. What was amazing to me was to hear just how he got started in this and just how hungry he was to get where he is today. Not too often do you see a head coach at a professional level at his age. But it just goes to show you what he's done and how willing he is to get better and work on himself and how he's been creative in seeking advice from others and learning in every which way possible. Please make sure you like, comment, and share this episode. And thank you for listening. And so we can go back even further if you want to start further back. But... You you started off in Bakersfield, but first you were in Indiana. So let's start there. Were you a manager there, or how how did you get into that? So I went to Indiana because my older sister went to Indiana, and I think I, in high school I visited her, um, you know, with my parents, and kind of went out with her for a night, had a great time, and just loved the campus and loved everything about it. Um, I knew I wanted to coach professionally when I was in high school because I started coaching at AAU. So inherently, I just wanted to. Uh, you know, explore the manager job at IU. And I interviewed for a couple of years in a row once I got there and I didn't get the job until my junior year. So I did it my junior year. That's when I went to Bakersfield was after I graduated. So I got an internship at Attack Athletics with Tim Grover and Mike Procopio. Mike Procopio was formerly with the, the Dallas Mavericks. And then right from that summer, after a few months in that gym, I ended up getting an internship as a basketball ops intern uh, for the Bakersfield Jam. And I spent the next three years there. Second year was a player development coach. And third year was uh, was an assistant coach before the Phoenix Suns came in and bought them, who are now the Northern Arizona Suns, and you know got their own staff and moved the team. And that's where it ended. But, yeah, really great experience and couldn't have asked for you know a better start to my professional career than going out there. You started with Grover what, and, and mm-hmm. Coach Coach Pro. How did uh, – like, what did you do there with them? So I was just a – player development intern you know so obviously they ran you know all these summer workouts for draft prospects and and nba clients and whatnot so i was just on the court for every single workout helping out rebound play defense 
you know, handle the ball in the pick and roll, whatever they needed for somebody to help in an on-court workout, I was there to help out with. So it was an incredible experience. Obviously, both of those guys, you know, have done their jobs at, at the highest level possible and uh, with some high-level clientele as well. So it was really good at a young age to, to be around um, professional coaches, professional basketball players, and just kind of see how things are done at that level. You know, so that transitioned me really well into the D-League at, at, at that time where the Bakersfield Jam were. Another uh, pretty serendipitous you know, story as far as an opportunity that I got to kind of break into the business was, and this is how I got the job at Attack, ironically enough, was going into my sophomore year of college that summer. Um, I, I have a very good family friend who used to be the starting center for the Chicago Bears. His name is Jerry Fontenot. And he, after playing in the NFL, he coached for the Green Bay Packers for a while and he's been around. He, when he was playing for the Bears, lived right by the old Bulls practice facility, which was the Birdo Center in Deerfield, Illinois, the northern suburbs, before they moved down to the city. And he knew that I wanted to coach professionally. So he used to work out there in the offseason with the Bulls strength and conditioning coach. So he hit him up and just asked him, do you guys have anything for my nephew? He wants to break into the league. And, you know, he basically asked him a friend for a favor. And they didn't have a lot of these formal internships you know, 10 years ago, like they do now, where there's, you know, with the Mavericks now, there's 12 player development interns. They didn't have anybody. So, you know, at the time, their director of player development was a guy by the name of Dave Severns. I was put in touch through the strength conditioning coach with Dave Severns, and he didn't have anybody helping him out. So I just went in as a 19-year-old kid, and it was Derrick Rose's rookie season. And I was a huge Bulls fan. I grew up from the time I was born, you know, rooting for Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, those 90s Bulls teams that were incredible at that time. And, uh, I was a diehard Bulls fan, and that was my first internship in professional basketball informally was, you know, rebound and playing defense and just helping out with the player development stuff on the court with the Bulls. So that was an incredible experience. And, quote, token defense doesn't even do it justice. What I was <laughs> – what I looked like playing defense on Derrick Rose at that time, especially a young 19-year-old Derrick Rose. So um, it was really, really cool. Him, Joakim Noah, Taj Gibson, it was, you know, right before, obviously, those teams started to, to go to the playoffs and before Derrick Rose took off. And then the rest is kind of history from there. So what's the feeling like, okay, you grew up a Bulls fan, the feel, and then, okay, then you have this opportunity and you're an intern and now all of a sudden you're guarding Derrick Rose. You're in the same gym as all these guys. What's the feeling like for you then? It was incredible. You know, I, it's one of those feelings where when you're that young, you don't really appreciate life as much as we probably do now as you go through it. But I really, I was pinching myself every single time I walked into that gym. Like it really was a dream come true to be in that practice facility where the closest I'd gotten to it was just watching, you know, Bulls videos of them practicing or, you know, those championship videos where, you know, they, they document the entire season. You see them in the gym, but all of a sudden now I'm there and I'm helping out, like I'm helping out the team that I love get better. And it was, it was a surreal feeling. The interesting part about it was it seemed like it came so easy back then where it was just a phone call and I got in the gym. And then as time went on and I was trying to break into the NBA again from the G League, it seemed like it was almost impossible <laughs> to get back there to get an NBA job. And um, you just you realize as years go on, like how how great of an opportunity that was. And it's not that I took it for granted, but you, you realize that these jobs are not easy to come by. And it, it was a dream come true at the time to be able to just walk into that building and and help out the team that you are a diehard fan for. And how, so it was great. how old were you at that time? 
I was 19. So I did that for two summers in a row, going into my sophomore year of college and then summer going into my junior year. And then after that summer is when they, when they let go of Vinny Del Negro and that staff, including Dave Severns. Um, and then they hired Tom Thibodeau. So it was a whole new staff. And that's when, you know, my opportunity there uh, was over. But I gotta, I gotta wonder at 19, you gotta have some real accountability and, you know, some professionalism that doing some similar stuff, pre-draft and other things, there's a lot of guys that want to be around it, right? Want to help, want to be there. I, I look for certain things when finding guys like that. I'm guessing you had a, had some of these things of, you know, always being on time, if not early, you know, being professional with these guys and things like that. That's how you got to keep coming back. Like, what do you think separated you from maybe some other guys at that time? You know, I think at the time, and I, I look back on myself now after 10 years and I think, man, I, I had a lot to learn back then. You know, you look back on it and you realize like, you know, as much as you thought you knew everything back then, <laughs> you, you still had a lot to learn, obviously. And uh, I was still a young, you know, naive college kid. But I think what I what I had then was a couple things. Um, one was a, a true passion for what I was doing. Like mm -hmm. I, I had a passion and I had a seriousness about what I was doing because I knew that for, for whatever reason, I knew early in my career, 16, 17 years old, that I wanted to coach in the NBA. I don't know how that came about, but, you know, it was just it, there was a lot of clarity that that's what I wanted to do. So the fact that I was doing that, there was inherently a seriousness in my approach to going in every day and doing that. The first thing I think about besides that is is my parents. And, you know, my dad had, I think, had still has, even at his age, a, a really good work ethic and wanting to do his best that he can in the role that that he's in and his job and his career to help provide for our family and, and just work hard and try to be as good as he could possibly be. And and he instilled that in, in all of us, my, my siblings as well, as we grew up. So he always told me that you got to find what you're passionate about. You got to find what you love to do and what you think that you're good at. And just do your absolute best at it to be the best that you can to help other people around you. And he's been preaching that to me from the time that I was a kid. And and that's what I found when I was 16, 17 years old. I found you know that passion for coaching basketball. Ironically enough, I got my first opportunity with uh, you know with the Bulls, and and that's where it just kind of went from there. The the way that we are nowadays, you know, our character, our our mental makeup, like you're a product of kind of who you're around the most, I think, and who I was around the most, obviously, when I was younger was was my parents. And both of them were just an incredible influence. And the best part about it was that they, you know, my dad's a lawyer, for example, and he's had his own practice for, you know, 30, 35 years, but not once did he ever pressure me to take over that business or to go to law school or to be a doctor or this or that, or follow some quote unquote normal path that, you know, a normal secure path that a lot of people feel that they need when they grow up. And when I told him I wanted to be an NBA coach when I was 16, 17 years old, he didn't flinch. He didn't laugh. He didn't roll his eyes. He didn't say I was crazy. He just said, okay. Well, he's like, you know, as long as, as long as that's what you want to do and that's what you love, then your mother and I are behind you a hundred percent. As long as you work hard and we see that you're working hard, we'll, we'll be behind you a hundred percent of the way. So that's really what fueled, I think at that age, like my passion to, to keep going and to keep pushing forward. It's like, okay, I got the support from my parents too. Like this is, this is real. This is good. Um, you know, credit, credit to them over anybody else. And so then you went from, from that experience, right? And how did you end up at Bakersfield? Backtracking to when I started off coaching, uh, when I was 16, I think I was 16 years old when I first started coaching AAU, like fifth, sixth graders, it was a, a basketball training academy called Full Package Athletics. And it's still around. It's run out of the North Shore of, uh, of Chicago by a guy named Steve Pratt. 
and Steve Pratt, I think has been with Full Package or you know the CEO of Full Package since the year 2000. Um, so he's been around a long time, unbelievable basketball mind and even better person. And he was really my first true mentor when I went for him for basketball lessons when I was 12 years old. And then once I wanted to coach, I got back in touch with him and he gave me my first coaching opportunity. Uh, one of his good friends uh, growing up in Vermont of all places was Will Voigt. And Will Voigt, uh, who is now currently the, the head coach of the Angolan national team and is coaching professionally in Germany, uh, was the coach of the Bakersfield Jam at that time. I got in touch with uh, Steve Pratt after college, told him I still wanted to coach professionally. And, um, you know, he got me connected with Will. I know this is a, a big thing for you, but maybe for someone who is trying to develop a coaching philosophy or wants to be a head coach or is thinking about it, what talk about the importance of getting the right people in the building and and how it might be under, you know, over or I guess overlooked at times. But I know for you, this is a big thing. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's at the foundation of team building. Like you got to get you got to get people in the building that that you want to be around every day that that have the right intentions, um, that that are pure hearted people that are genuine in their approach. And especially when you talk about staff, when you talk about staff, like. You know, we're, we're in the business of, of helping others get better. And when you talk about your why as a coach, your purpose, if your purpose is not to just help people become the best that they could possibly be, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. Obviously, we all want to get personally better. But, you know, in my opinion, coaches should want to get personally better so that they can help others be better. You know, I want to be as good as I can be individually and try to improve myself this summer for next season so that I can put players and staff in, in better position to be successful and help them be better. That I think should be the crux of, you know, and the foundation of, of a coaching philosophy. And then you just kind of build from there and the X's and O's and, and everything else just kind of, uh, you know, takes care of itself from there. But the players as well, you know, you want to get players in there that are obviously talented. You know, all these guys are talented and, and you want to, you want to find guys that, that have that quote unquote potential um, to get to the next level or just, you know, to, to maximize, um, you know, who they are and what they are as players. But the way that I think players do that and maximize their potential is based on who they are as people, whether it's, you know, that they're a good teammate or they come in and they're a professional and they're on time and they set a good example and they get their work done and they come in for treatment, they take care of their body. All of those things that have nothing to do with putting the ball in the basket are extremely important, I think, to the success of a team. We talk about accountability, we talk about habits, we talk about preparation, and it's not only important for the players to have it, but also the staff has to emulate what they're talking about. Just on, on my two cents with it is I think also the staff has to own their development just as much as the players do, especially if we're talking about it in uh, where you're a current head coach in the G League. How do you hold yourself accountable every day, especially during the season? 100%. Yeah, the, the players the, the players need to see that not only that you care about them, like that, that's obviously very important. They need to see that you care about them, but they need to see that you care is by consistently working to be your best. You know, they got to see that we as a staff are working individually to figure out the answer so that we can give them better solutions to their quote unquote problems and whatever issues that they're having on the court in order to be better. So they got to see that, like you said, the staff not only holds themselves accountable, but holds each other accountable to that standard. And they got to see that we're working every single day 
to be better as individuals and as a collective staff in order to better help these guys. They got to know that you're giving them the right information, that you know what you're talking about. Coach, I'm wondering how you prepare yourself as a leader and support those around you. I got to make a schedule for myself. I got to make a schedule for myself. And I don't don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I just, I, I go to bed every night figuring out what my plan is for the next day. What do I have to do between the hours of, you know, seven and nine in the morning before we head to the gym? What am I doing between nine and 11? And I I write it out. I write out a schedule every single day and I think about it. I think about it the night before. I think about it that morning. I think about what I have to do uh, in order to help the team and help the organization, help the staff and help everybody around me. And it's tough. It's really, really hard. Um, Time management is, is probably was my biggest learning curve this year. Um, was figuring out how to prioritize, what to prioritize, how exactly to hold myself accountable to those things. But the way I hold myself accountable to work and and getting better is every single day making a list of what I need to do at that moment in time and prioritize and check it off. Literally write it down, dry erase board, erase it, check it off, whatever it is. But once that's done, you know, get it done and and move on to the next thing. So when there are times, uh, maybe this can be from your first year, or maybe you can answer this however you want. Maybe it's throughout your life. Maybe there's a common theme here, but who do you, who do you lean on during those challenging times where you might not have the answer and you feel uncomfortable and you might feel a little stuck or a little lost? What do you do in those situations and who do you lean on? There's a number of people for, you know, specific situations. So, you know, obviously one of the people that comes to mind is, uh, you know, Nelson Taroba, who is is not only a longtime friend, but he has, he was one of the few people on our staff that had head coaching experience. He was a head coach uh, in uh, the Canada NBL uh, two seasons previously before joining the Legends. So he had gone through it at a high level. And, and I knew that and he's wise behind his, beyond his years, obviously just from the years that he's been in basketball, but being in that seat and having felt what he felt as a head coach, he knew what I was going through at times. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I value not only his experience, but everybody's experience on the staff is everybody brings a certain level of experience and perspective. And as a head coach, no matter what I've been through, if I'm 30 years old in my first year or 40 years old in my 10th year coaching, it doesn't matter. You need to hire people around you that you can lean on to help you. Everybody needs help. At, at any point in time, everybody needs help no matter their experience. And what I loved about our staff this year was the diversity in everybody's experience and their skill set. You know, And here's the, here's the bigger thing that I'm hearing from you. And I'm sure this you feel the same way, but I, what I'm hearing is these are all people that you trust even outside of basketball. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And trust obviously has to be earned. The thing is, I, I don't I don't look at like a coaching staff, like I don't think they owe me loyalty just because I'm the head coach. I think people inherently at first are, you know, they, they want to be, there. there's this loyalty that you owe the head coach. And the reality is like, it's just like respect. Like I, I, I feel like I'm fighting every single day to earn the respect of our staff, to earn the respect of our players and, and fighting in a good way. You know, you just want, you want to work at it every single day to earn the respect of players and not become complacent in, you know, how people view you and respect you. And then all of a sudden those things fall by the wayside. You you got to work at it every day. And, and that's what I tried to do every single day was, was treat our staff in such a way that allowed them to want to trust me 
and and be loyal to me as as not just a, an employee but as a friend. And that's what I think I, I got in return from them, and and I trusted them as well, obviously. And it comes from knowing them. It comes from working with them. Trust is trust takes you know, years to build, you know, full trust, and it takes a moment to break it. How'd you deal with, you know, bad days and uh, maybe days where you felt like, man, I I don't know if I'm, this is it for me, or like, this is the journey. How did you keep that clarity that this is what you want to be doing when you're in Bakersfield or you're a a Texas Legends assistant or a Mavs intern? How do you, how do you keep that clarity? And this, I, I read this in a book, a really good book by Simon Sinek called Starts With Why. I think it's called starts with why and the whole book you know talks about understanding your your purpose and what you do every day you know what is your why you know I just believe that in in cases where people get burnt out or they start to question whether or not they're right for a a certain occupation or whether they're right for the job whatever it is I think a lot of people might get too caught up in being overwhelmed and being stressed and and really forgetting why they got into the job in the first place. And the reason why I got into the job in the first place was I'll never forget when I was 17 years old, you know, 16, 17, whatever it was, I was coaching uh, my first individual lesson with a kid and he was about nine years old. He didn't know how to do a left-handed layup. He was a righty. He could do a righty one. Okay. And he he didn't know how to do a left-handed layup and he couldn't. We spent 45 minutes, uh, the full training session, um, working on the footwork of doing a left-handed layup, jumping off the right foot and laying it up with the left hand. And it took the full 45 minutes. He ended up getting it by the uh, the end of the training session. And the kid could not have been happier. And his parents were happy. And the, the kid was ecstatic about it. And that that feeling to me was incredible. That I'll never forget leaving the gym that day thinking, I loved that. That was awesome. This is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And I always think about that, or at least as much as possible when things aren't going my way is, that, you know, what's your why? What's your purpose? Why are you in this job in the first place? If it's for money, if it's for fame, if it's for glory, if it's for Instagram posts and pictures of yourself, you're not going to last long in this business because the, the issues that arise are real. The issues that arise in this business are real. At the end of the day, when you're a head coach, when you're leading an organization, when you're around it every day, you are responsible for people's livelihoods. And you always have to center yourself, I think, and think back to, you know, what is your why? What is your purpose? And with all this, like you, you have had a number of different responsibilities, different roles. And now as a head coach, what was the most difficult transition? Was it going to the head coach, um, becoming a head coach? Or was there another step that you're like, you know what, that was honestly harder for me because I'd never been in that position yet? Yeah, I think uh, that first job, out of college when I was an operations intern with the Bakersfield Jam when I was about 22 years old, that was a tough transition. You know, I had moved to a city I'd never heard of before, (laughs) to be honest, call me cultured or not, but I I didn't know what Bakersfield was when I first went there. You know, so I'm I'm moving out to, you know, part of California I didn't know existed to pursue a dream that, you know, I I didn't know if it was going to work out. I just assumed it would, you know, and this was the path that I had to take. And that workload that I had that first year was different than anything I had experienced. Like I said, from the off the basketball, off the basketball court stuff with the driving the vans and doing the laundry and mopping the floor before practice and after and wiping up sweat, but also doing so many side projects for you know the coach and the involvement in the draft process. Like 
there was such a heavy workload I'd never experienced before. And I struggled. I struggled that first year. I, this, this hasn't been smooth sailing by any means. I came out of college, a pretty, a pretty arrogant kid at 22 thinking, you know, that I was, you know, I was coming from attack athletics, coaching the pros and, you know, I was all hot shit. And all of a sudden, like I get, I get hit with this job where there's so much responsibility. And I work for a coach who, who was really, really hard on me and didn't let me get away with anything. And, you know, at the time I thought, man, this guy's micromanaging me, but it took me just a year or two to realize that he was just trying to hold me accountable and he was trying to to help me be better and better prep me for what this career path was about. It's the real deal. I mean, you you got to work and you got to work with, with the right intentions. You know, you mentioned a few things where you learn along the way. I think it can go, especially when you're younger, it can go a couple ways. You can either take things and learn from it or you can start to just get upset about things. Why do you think you have learned and continue to learn? You know, what, what causes that in you? I've had really good mentors along the way. Uh, you know, I've mentioned uh, a few of them so far, Steve Pratt, uh, Will Voigt, Dave Severns, Mike Procopio, you know, who I, I spent time with at the Mavericks also as, as well as at attack. Um, you know, I've had my father, my mother, I, I've had a lot of people along the way that, are really, really good people that, you know, for one reason or another, took an interest in me, in, in helping me and, and holding me accountable to the things I do, the things I say, the way that I act. And you need people like that. You know, Steve Pratt to this day, I talk to him, you know, at least once a week, even sometimes more than that. And he's not a guy that just sits there and tells me how proud he is of me. And he's like my personal yes man and my good friend. He's a guy that if he if he hears me saying something that doesn't sound right, he'll bring me back down to earth and be like, no, no, no. Like, this is how you got to look at it. You got to look at it from their perspective, like this, that. Like, you need people like that in your life, I think, from an early age that will help shape who you are and who you're supposed to be. I, I credit my parents, you know, for raising me, I think, in such a way where... They, they taught me to be able to take constructive criticism. You know, they, they always stressed to me when I was growing up, it's really, really important that, you know, you take criticism and you just try to be better from that. And it's hard, you know, self-reflection and, and that sort of thing is really, really difficult. It's hard to, to look in the mirror and figure out why you say, do, and think certain things and then try to better yourself from that. It, it's hard, people not telling you that, you know, you're right or no, you're perfect. Like that was young, that was hard at a young age, but you push through and you always remember your why, why you're in the business, why you're in it to do, you know, the things that you're in it to do, which is hopefully the right things with the right intentions. And, you know, the great mentors and, and really good parents growing up, I think, has, has kind of paved the way for that for me. And so I'm, I'm thinking from a perspective, let's just take it another way. How do you actively keep seeking growth, though? Let's say you don't have a lot of mentors in your life or you might not have great parental or uh, authority figures to help you out. What are some ways you actively seek growth, maybe without having conversations? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you and I talk about this obviously a lot. I'm, I'm a big reader um, and I, I wasn't always a big reader. I, I never read the assigned books in high school. And <laughs> yeah. I always tried to, to I always tried to bullshit my way through the, the reading reports and all that stuff. But um, what I realized growing up, uh, you know, in this business, at least from from the time I was 22 to now, um, was the importance of reading and the importance of uh and I guess the term is, you know, self-help books. I, I really love those books. I love books that kind of make you think and reflect and 
uh, think about how you can personally get better. And I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's selfish to read a lot of self-help books. You know, my eyes, we talked about it kind of at the beginning of this podcast, the importance of helping be helping yourself be the best version of yourself in order to better help other people. You know, I don't think that I can personally help other people with my best effort unless I'm the best version of myself. And, you know, I think reading is, is one, one of the best tools for that. I think you can study other people, you know, whether it is reading one of their books or you can study and be around and ask questions to other people, whether it's mentors or study other coaches or study other very successful people that maybe you respect. Um, that's really important. But first and foremost, you got to study yourself. Everybody, I think a lot of people get caught up in, in just studying this coach and doing what this coach does and what does this coach do? And really, you need to you can take things from people, but you need to figure out who you are. I, I've worked really, really hard over the last eight years, more so than I have watching film as I have on myself. You know, I think it's really, really important to, like I said, self-reflect and, and figure out and become aware of yourself, your thinking, your habits, your thought patterns. And, and your actions and behaviors. I think that's that's more important than anything in this business. And you know, I've kind of taken that to heart over the last eight years to just constantly work on that and figure it out. And there's different ways to do it. You could do it through, you know, through meditation. You know, I know we've talked about this a lot, and um, I've tried to in, in, instill that in myself in my daily routine um, throughout the last year. And that's something that that's really helped me personally. Just kind of be able to really reflect and evaluate how I'm doing you know, both mentally and, and, and in my career and my job every day as well. Yeah, that's big because self-awareness is, is sometimes people avoid those uncomfortable things. And you've used the phrase uncomfortable a few times, but I mean, that's really where the biggest growth is, is, is really if you want to get better at something and if you really want to keep improving and if you want to take the next step, it requires you to get uncomfortable, to look within yourself and then change anything that needs to be changed or, or just have a better understanding of it. And there's really no way around it one at some point or another it's going to catch up to you if you if you don't do the work on yourself and what you've been avoiding is going to catch up to you 100% i think the two the two greatest qualities of a coach i think the most important qualities in just being able to maximize your own talent as a person and also maximize the other people's talents is self-awareness and emotional intelligence you have to have hyper awareness of how you are acting how your actions and how your thoughts are perceived by others. Um, and you need to be really in tune to other people. And I think empathy is the other word that, that is tied to emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes and helping understand why they think certain things that they think and why they do certain things that they do and why they act the way that they act. You need to, to work every single day to figure that out and not to figure out people. It's really just to build that relationship. And, and I think emotional intelligence is at the foundation of all of that. Right. And a big thing, and this is difficult to do in professional sports life as well, but just in this realm we're talking about, is to take someone else's perspective on a situation where you think you're right and they're wrong. And to take a step back and understand where they're coming from and then be able to process that and move forward with it and have an actual conversation versus an argument. 100%. And it's, it's hard, right? You got to... It's, it's the detachment of the ego, right? The ego from the self. And, um, you know, that's, that's really, really important when you're in this business working with so many different personalities, it's not just you and one other person and you guys are trying to figure out a business. Like there's so many people involved in all of this that if you are the, 
the quote unquote head guy, the head coach, the leader of the organization, whatever it is, I just feel that you have a responsibility to be more in tune to that sort of thing, both with yourself and other people than anybody else in the building. I, I take that very seriously. And it's something that, you know, I, I have a long ways to go. You, you can never, you can never know everything uh, about that sort of thing. You can just only work to work to perfect your craft as much as you can. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about self self growth and, and looking in and, and trying to build ourselves up. And you said you're a big book guy. What would be a book or two that you would recommend for maybe a young aspiring coach or someone looking to break into this that helped you along the way? Yeah. So, um, starts with why is a great book. I know that, that we talked about that a lot. Um, another one that actually was one of the first books that got me into reading that was given to me by Will Voigt, you know, my first coach in Bakersfield called The Power of Now mm-hmm. uh, by Eckhart Tolle, you know, basically just talks about the, the, the power of living in the moment and what it means to live in the moment and be present mm-hmm. and, and operate in a space that, you know, is not worrying about the future, is not um, emotionally tied to the past, but operating in the present. And it's really hard. It's easier said than done. You know, it's a book that I've read twice already. And I, it, what I've realized about reading certain books like that is like, you should read them every couple of years mm-hmm. as you, as you grow, because it'll mean something more to you and mean differently to you at 30 than it did at 27, based on the experiences that you've had. Um, and you'll catch things that maybe you didn't catch earlier before. Um, so those two books, you know, starts with why just in helping people find their purpose, not just, and finding your purpose is not, Hey, I want to find what career. I want it might not be just that you might be in the career that you want, but you might be struggling with it. You might be stressful a lot. You might be forgetting why you got into it in the first place. That kind of centers your thinking a lot in, um, you know, realizing why you got into things in the first place and also the power of now. Yeah. Power now a guide to spiritual enlightenment, I think is the, is the whole title yeah. to it. No, it's a great book. Um, and that's something that really, Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And it's like I said, I, as I'm bringing it up now, it's, it's a book that I definitely want to revisit this summer for sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, I read that book too. And one of the things that I took away from it was, um, you know, it talks about all the things that we identify as or like that influence who we think we are and really that none of those things are you, right? And that was like something that was big for me to take away from. It's like, it's not what I do or what I have or what I know, right? That doesn't mean, that doesn't make me me. Um, And that was powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's There's another book, um, that as we're talking about it, I'm thinking about, I don't, have you guys heard about a guy named Joe Dispenza? I know I've talked to you a little bit about it, Franco, and I've sent you that, that video. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's a guy that he's, he's a, he's got a PhD and I, th- I think it's neurology and, and his book is called Becoming Supernatural. And what it talks about is the power of the mind. And what he gives is more of a detailed scientific description into why you know, these sort of practices of being in the now and the moment are, are so important and why they actually scientifically work in leading a better, happier life and, and being present and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it, it's great because it dives deeper into the, the how you do it, the how you do it and the why this stuff works and why it's important. You know, so all of it is, those are, those are books that, you know, like I said, to me, it, it just helps me understand that we're very, very powerful human beings mm-hmm. and, and our brains are a very powerful tool. And, uh, you know, I think the common theme with with all of these books is detachment from the ego, 
right? Absence of ego, the power of humility. And it's, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable and, and admit that you don't know everything. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, I try to operate with every day is a confidence in what you do to help people because you feel like you're preparing, but also operating with that humility and that uh, the vulnerability that, hey, we're not perfect. Big thanks to Coach G for coming on the podcast and taking the time to talk to us. I think there's a lot of great stuff that he said in terms of leadership, in building a team, and in navigating the waters of being a first-year head coach in the G League. You want to surround yourself with people who have experience. You want to surround yourself with people who have different ideas and bring something that maybe you're not great at yet. And ultimately, though, you want to surround yourself with people you trust. And I think that's transferable, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're in the front office or life in general, you want to make sure that your circle, the people you keep yourself with are always going to be challenging you and pushing you, but also going to be real with you and people you can lean on when you need it. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Our show is produced by Ellie Lieberman and Bianca Turner. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mental Buckets, at Pat Turn with three T's, at UPB Training. Special thank you to Bennett Christensen for the beat and Jordan J Squared for the sound engineering.